From Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jamal. And this is the Friday Vine Pair Podcast. Stop grouping no and low together. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> just stop it. We're jumping right in. Well, yeah, because this is Friday and we just get straight to the point. People have shit to do. <laughs> and, you know, that's what we want to talk about today, which is that there is this, there's been this, this trend forever now since we really started covering low alcohol, no alcohol, that we, we group them together. We treat them as the same category. Well, it started with the data, right? Yeah. And that's where it kind of came out of. But yep. I think now we're seeing it more in marketing, which is, I think, Marketing, more story pitches, like yeah. everything is like, oh, this is the no and low category. No, you you either have alcohol in you or you don't. Mm-hmm. And if you're low alcohol, there is there's trends in that direction. But then I think when you combine them, you actually really muddy the waters for anyone who's actually trying to understand the space and the industry and like what's happening because you then make it seem like there's some, there's a trend that may or may not be occurring. Right. And I think that that's what we've talked about before in the, in the past as well is like, there is definitely a trend in terms of low alcohol. The trend of no alcohol, if you were to break the data out, is not as big as people make it seem. Yeah. Right. If you look at real data, you can e- email me in at podcastifinebear.com and be <laughs> like, well, I sell a lot of no, you know, no alcohol at my restaurant or whatever. Cool. That's awesome. Depending on where you are. But if you look at actual scan data, like, again, we go to the data. The, the growth is not that big in no alcohol. Let me again remind everyone, we still do not have the sales volume of no alcohol that is equal to the number of no alcohol of just O'Doul's in the early 90s when it was at its peak. One brand. So, again, that's not where the trend is actually happening at all. Mm -hmm. The trend is happening in low alcohol. There is a desire for people to drink lower alcohol products. And we need to stop this bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think... I think it has, there are dangers in doing this too, right? Because, and we talked about this in the context of house, which was low alcohol, but I think a lot of people thought it was non-alcoholic. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, for people, I I think it's, I think that's pertinent for people who are just like trying things out, but for people for whom this is important, an important distinction to make for various reasons, Mm -hmm. you know, sobriety or pregnancy or other things like that. I think uh, that's where it seems particularly dangerous to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and there's also the real issue that low alcohol is very much in the eye of the beholder. What defines low alcohol? Like we've had and tasted and talked about on the show you know, low alcohol spirits, but those are still often 20% ABV. Yeah, that's low for what we would consider a spirit, but it's still certainly higher alcohol by percentage than wine or beer. And that's where I think a lot of my issue with this, besides muddying the waters as, as regards data and trends, like Adam mentioned, there's also just the muddying consumer perception part that I find really uh, frustrating. I think that's kind of what you were to some extent getting at, Joanna, but not even so much confusing people who might think a product has no alcohol in it. uh, And in fact, it has some amount that is fancifully described as low based on the needs of the brand. That is in and of itself, even if people were never confusing those products for uh, low alcohol, sorry, we're never confusing those products for non-alcoholic beverages, it would still be 
disingenuous perhaps because as i said who's what definition of low alcohol are we talking about here are we talking about a three percent abv beer okay that i think most people would agree is low alcohol like it's pretty hard to get much lower than that while still having alcohol in the thing if we're talking about yeah an 18 percent or 20 percent beverage a spirit or whatever you know that again depending on your expectations and what you are anticipating might constitute low alcohol but it it still gets you pretty fucked up if you drink a few of them. Like that is no joke, especially if you're drinking significant volumes of it because you're like, oh, it's low alcohol. It's kind of like the di- you know the diet cookie problem, right? You know, you think you're doing a smart thing by eating, you know, by having low cal or whatever low sugar cookies, but if you eat twice as many, you're still getting at least as much, if not more, actual sugar, calories, etc. You're just spreading it out over a larger volume of consumption. Is that is low alcohol regulated at all? No, I, no. no. No alcohol is. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's why that's why low alcohol is so fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Like I think you know, in terms of what Zach's saying, like I, I immediately jump to what we consider low alcohol wine, mm-hmm. and how for a lot of people it's like they'll right. say low alcohol is like around ten percent, right? Like that is a triple IPA. Yeah. Right. Right. Like huh. that, that is that is a lot of IPA. And so if you were to, like, have three triple IPAs, you're going to pass out on the couch. And, like, (laughs) if you have that volume in wine, which a lot of people do, right, because now they're like, oh, this is low alcohol wine. I don't know if anyone's drinking two bottles of low – I mean, maybe some people are. But even if you're drinking (laughs) – No, no, I mean, mean like, well, I guess, wait, because if it's 12 ounces, you'd be having 36 ounces of wine. So, yes, you're right. No one's doing that. But if you have, like – Three glasses of the wine, so you're going to be a little toasty. Yeah, like, like you drinks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You just are. And that's, I think, something that we, yeah, we just don't think about as much because that, that's because it's not regulated, right? There's no like, okay, under 5% is considered low alcohol across the board. It's, it's, we consider what is low in relation to what is considered normal. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. In beer, for that category. Yes. So in yeah. beer, like normal alcohol is anywhere from like four and a half to like six or seven percent alcohol. That's like a normal beer. Sure. So below four and a half, we would say would be low alcohol before it approaches no. That's why like in wine, right? What, what, what do we say, Zach? Like twelve and a half or something to thirteen to, 13 to fourteen or something yeah. is like normal unless you're in Napa. Sure. So like <laughs> that. Below that would be low in spirits, mm-hmm. right? 40%, 45% alcohol is normal. So 30 to 20 to 30 is like, oh, this must be low. But they are actually high in in relation to other kinds of drinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why it just gets it's, – it's very, very confusing. And I think it gives people this pass if they're drinking it for some sort of either health reason or, or to convince themselves they're being responsible. Like, oh, I'm drinking – I had six drinks, but it, they were low alk, so right. I'm being more responsible. Right. Like, if, now, you can tell me you're having six drinks and you drink low alk because you want to be more sessionable. That's fine. Sure. People that I know that are like, oh, I drink – you know, we, we go tailgating and we drink, you know, the session IPAs. Mm-hmm. And we have – you know, we have a case amongst four or five of us over the course of a few hours. I get why people do that. They they want to maintain the buzz without getting too inebriated. But if you're like, oh, I had a case, you know, a case with buddies over the course of a few hours, we're better off because we had session IPA. Mm, no. Right. Yeah. Why do, why do you think this happened? 
Uh, because I think that we all have guilt about consuming alcohol, just like we have guilt about consuming sweets, just like we have guilt about consuming cannabis. Mm-hmm. I mean, or, and, and I think to be honest with you, yes, this is just a hot take. Uh, but I think that like, yeah, there is this weird little health halo around cannabis right now, but like the guilt is coming. You can already feel it coming. Like the, mm. there's already articles about like the gummies and being out of it and gummies consumed by kids too young and blah, blah, blah. Like we're going to have this same thing where there's going to be a snapback and there's going to be like lower THC and all that stuff. Because people want to consume it, but like not at the levels they are now, you know, things with like with dosing of THC, just like people are now microdosing psilocybin and stuff. Like, I think that's going to happen because it's guilt. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to feel you want to enjoy this, but you want to tell yourself that it's, it's better than it You're actually is. You're making a more is, conscious right? decision. I don't even know if it's about consciousness. It's like, I think it's a lot of like, I don't know, you know, it, it's, I'm trying to explain it like, but I can't formulate the thought in my head. It's, I don't even think it's about consciousness. Like, I want to say that I know this is bad for me, but this is a little bit better for me. Does that make sense? Like the virtuousness of no alcohol rubs off on the low alcohol. Yes, 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 yes. I think also, I think it's, and that's why grouping them together is attractive. If you're a a brand that is trying to kind of cash in on that, like Mm -hmm. you want to be seen in the same light as a non-alcoholic drink option, be it a non-alcoholic version of an alcoholic beverage or just some other thing. It gives you some more of that cachet. But I think what Adam is, at least in my eyes, what you're kind of trying to say, and I think is very true, is that there is a, a, a sizable chunk of the consuming public that wants its all of its consumption choices to be sort of aligned with how people see themselves, right? And if you see yourself as a health-conscious person, you want to believe rightfully or not, that all the decisions you're making, all the things you're buying, line up with that. And it's the reason why we're seeing a bunch of, you know, I know we've talked about it uh, offline, you know, a bunch of pitches for good for you, you know, wine, good for you, beer, et cetera, right? Like, there, it is all of a piece. People, there is a belief that, or I should say, there isn't a recognition of a of a fundamental fact, which is like, alcohol is not necessarily good for you. Like, there is no way for it to be out and out good for you. I think there are ways in which some alcoholic beverages can have some health benefits along with potentially the harm that alcohol does. And also that not everything you consume has to be actively good for you. Like that is, I don't think necessarily the the optimal way for you to live life, but we're seeing this like all over the place, right? We're seeing, you know, it's come out weirdly in a lot of the reporting that's come out about like Silicon Valley and, and the obsession with like immortality or yep. near immortality, right? Like this belief that people want to have that they can kind of, you know, in those cases, like biohack their way to endless life and in maybe a more mundane everyday way for us, I can still drink the things I want to drink. But if I'm drinking a low alcohol version of it, I'm making a, a significantly more virtuous choice. And I just, that part of it, I don't really buy. But I think that this kind of conversation or not the one we're having, but the the way that these things are being talked about feeds into that desire the you know it it fits neatly into that desire that people have to believe that they are making these virtuous choices even if they're not i also want to add one other thing here too which is that it's important when we're talking about low alcohol beverages to sort of think for a moment as you know whether it's our role as as journalists or as consumers or whomever about how that product is reaching that state and this isn't to say that one of these things is better than the other but there are a lot of ways to get to say a low alcohol wine one way is to literally blend other things into the wine so that you have 
additional volume that reduces the level of of alcohol you know by volume in the beverage so you know watering down essentially one way or another you can also mechanically remove alcohol there's a few different methods that you can do this now you can centrifuge it yeah or there's reverse osmosis etc there are ways to do it some people would argue and i think not totally incorrectly that that might have other less great side effects for the overall quality of the wine but that's certainly one way you can arrive at a lower alcohol percentage. Or the third way is, you know, you can not fully ferment the beverage and then you have some amount of residual sugar that's not alcohol. Now, for most people who are trying to look at calories and stuff, that's not going to do them, you know, that's going to be at least as bad, if not worse, as just kind of full on, you know, normal alcohol wine. But it's important for us. And then, of course, the other the other way you get at it, which is not so much in the case of wine or perhaps beer, but in cocktails is, again, you know, you just lengthen the drink out, whether it's, you know, your uh, very tall, uh, gin and tonic to your whatever you know there are lots of other ways to make a drink have a, a lot of volume without a lot of alcohol but it's important for us to be aware when we are looking at those things like how the drink we're talking about or drinks we're talking about arrive at their putative low alcohol state because they're not all the same yeah i think this plays into something else that we talk talk about quite a bit which is that instead of doing any of those things or or doing things on our end to make something lower alcohol that we'd rather there be a slew of products available to us. Um, so we can continue to drink in the same volume, mm-hmm. um, but not have to be <laughs> responsible for the effects of it. Yeah. And I think that like, look, there's always going to be a desire to put health halos around vices. Yeah. And this is That's what we're talking about. Yeah. And yeah. this is the hell halo we're going to put around the vice, which is, okay, well, this one is low, right? Cannabis, as we just I meant, as Andrew, has a overall health halo around it right now. Again, I think that's going to wear. But, the, the, you know, this is what we do. Like, you know, we don't know what, what the effects of tripping balls all the time is going to do to people who are taking psilocybin <laughs> that's now been, you know, but right now there's a health halo. Oh my gosh. It like improves mood. It is cha- that it? It's a health halo around Oh it? yeah. It improves. The shrooms are better for you? Yes. It improves mood. It's, it changes anxiety. It fixes your brain chemistry, like all this stuff, which of which there are definitely, there is definitely research mm-hmm. that does prove some of this stuff. The problem with all of these things is that because they are vices, there is not enough medical research to fully support any of these things, right? There is anecdotal data based on small studies because it is very hard as the child of scientists and the brother of a scientist who all get NIH funding, it is very hard to get NIH grants for vices, to study a vice that you may... So like, yes, we know that... Because Reve- of the harm of the side effects yes. or whatever. Yeah. So, like, we know that R- Revestrol, you know, inside uh, red wine, when they give that pure form to mice, does improve heart function, etc. There is no study to give that level of red wine to a to humans in order to see if the wine actually does that. Mm-hmm. Right. But then we infer, oh, well, it must be better. There, there are some health benefits to wine. We know that from studying, you know humans for generations in certain areas in Greece and Italy, et cetera, and looking at their diet. But the thing that we we don't – what we do in the U.S., which is wrong, is we say, oh, you know, this community in Crete mm-hmm. drinks wine all the time. 
therefore healthy. Let's adopt that. No, no, but they also follow a Mediterranean diet of their, you know, factors, yeah, omega-3 yeah. fatty acid rich foods, lots of fish, lots of olive oil, you know, lots and lots of produce. Like you have to, yes, then, then they can drink wine daily and at every meal and be very healthy and live till a hundred because they do all of these other things. We're just, again, goes back to this hacking life thing of like, no, no, but I just want to do this one thing yeah, and I don't want to feel <laughs> bad about it. And I think, you know, the other sort of thing about all of this is that then we as, as journalists and marketers, especially as the people as marketers are like, okay, well, what's the easiest way to sell? Yes. And if the easiest way to sell is wrapping my, my product up in this halo because that will move this for me and it will make give me some kind of competitive advantage against my competition then I'm going to do it right we all know the you know the crazy thing with Cameron Diaz and the clean wine yeah right like oh my wine's clean <laughs> really cleaner than clean everyone else's clean wine, yeah. like you know that's the same idea it's, it's that but that became a, combat, a competitive advantage for that brand right. in order to say oh well this is why I think it's better, better for me, mm -hmm. but with no research. Cause again, it's very hard to get the funding to do that, to have that research. Yeah. I was just going to say, so it feels like then the low alcohol movement, like there it's two movements happening together and they're one and the same mm -hmm. when that's not necessarily the case. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think it's like, we, we need to, I want to reiterate here, I think, cause it's important that there are real, I think societal benefits to expanding options for people in both categories like there's nothing wrong with making there's certainly nothing wrong with making more interesting and enjoyable non-alcoholic beverages available to adults because there are at any given time lots and lots of people who for whatever set of reasons want and need the ability to have a beverage or beverages that they enjoy drinking that are satisfying perhaps interesting etc and have no alcohol in them. And it's a market category that, you know, even if Adam, as you're right, as you're saying, you know, isn't as big as it was in the early 90s, it's also true that that market deserves more than just O'Doul's, let's say. Yes. And so yeah. that's that's fine. And I think there is there it's important to be accurate and pragmatic about that market and how big it may or may not be, but it is I think at the same time we should be championing the existence of more options in that market because for so long it's been so you know, it's been a really barren wasteland for interesting, well-made, thoughtful drinks, whether they're available at a bar, or restaurant, or on a shelf. The low alk side is much more to me. It's a little bit harder to understand what the broader societal good is, in in part because I mean, this is just my own perspective. But if, generally speaking, my attitude has been, hey, if you want to drink alcohol, but you want to have fewer negative effects, you know, whatever those might be for you, then the solution is to either drink things that are lower in alcohol, sure, fine, and there are lots of ways to get there, or just drink less, period. Mm -hmm. And do we need an entire category, quote unquote, that is dedicated to providing 30% off alcohol type of offering? I, I just, that to me is like, it feels like solving a problem that doesn't exist, which I mean, let's be clear, capitalism is great at. So maybe this I yeah. shouldn't be surprised. But it is it is I think they are it is important as we we're talking about here to distinguish between the two categories and to not just lump them together because it does, especially the non alcoholic beverage category, a real disservice. Yeah, I yes. think that's true. But there will always be that problem if people think that the solution if it will equate to sales, right? So that's why everyone's rushing in. And you know, I think no one's really and and 
no one's really doing the work to try to understand why there is a demand for these products. And I think a lot of it is that, well, you know, as I think you said this perfectly, Zach, about the, about snack wells, right? Like this is the, this is the non-fat and low fat situation, right? I can't self-discipline portion control. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me to do it. (laughs) So instead I want to eat five snack wells because I usually eat five chips ahoy. Right. And this is the same thing. I can't not have a, a full bottle of wine at the end of the day. If I open it, it's gone. I mean, mm-hmm. we all know the jokes about like when anyone ever posts, when we write articles about like no saving wine, who has leftover wine? Ha 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 ha. Like that's, the, that, that's like basically all of America. And so if I open this, why would I ever save stuff, right? Why would I invest in a Coravin while dying brand? So, but why would I invest in a Coravin or a pump or any of these things to be able to save my wine? I want to drink the whole bottle. So I will feel less guilty if the, the wine is instead of 13 and a half percent, 8%, 9%. And that's, that is the Snackwells phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And it will go away because the Snackwells phenomenon went away. Because everyone realized, again, as Zach said, Snackwells sucked. Yeah. It tasted like cardboard sugar. And a lot of these no, low alcohol products suck. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm all for making good low alcohol products. As we've, we've all said here, we should have good low alcohol products. The problem is most of them suck. Like mm-hmm. even the ones that are ancient, like fucking... I'm not, yes. (laughs) It it tastes like shit. There's a reason we don't drink it anymore. Piquette sucks. And so, like, that's great. You figured out how to make grape water. (laughs) Grape water. Water. It's gross water. But, like, you know, but it sucks. Make something delicious. Make me an amazing aperitivo that's low alcohol. Or you figure out how to make something delicious. And then I'm all for it. The problem is there's just too much of it that's crap because it's just like a bunch of suits in a boardroom on their like whiteboard being like, oh, the kids like low alcohol now. Let's design right. something. And they design crap. Well, or it's, like, it's let's, coming out. Let's at just it. take our normal wine and de-alcify yeah, exactly. it. It's coming at it from the, the perspective of let's take a thing that's already popular and remove the alcohol as opposed to let's make something that tastes good that also is low alcohol. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. I get why from a marketing standpoint, it's easier to be like low alcohol wine, low alcohol beer, whatever, than it is to say we're making a product that may not fit neatly into any one of those categories and is low alcohol, but it has the, you know, hopefully the, the positive of being actually good at whatever the ABV yeah. on the label, not like just a, at best sort of a pale imitation of the thing that people are used to. I mean, I will say like the the ones, the low alcohol type stuff that I've had that is really good is the stuff that basically takes some, like basically is playing with the combination of a few different things in order to make something ta- like that's more delicious. So it's, it's not just taking like wine and removing some of the alcohol and then making it a lot or stopping the fermentation. So for example, like one of the the liquids we like here in the office, Limone, Mm -hmm. right? Like it is a combination of wine plus a fortification with brandy and then the addition of citrus, you know, peels, et cetera, that makes this, this, what used to be a dry white wine at 12%, 
up to 16% and tastes more citrusy. And now it's an aperitif. Right. That I think is like the more creative way to do this. And I think that there's other brands. Doing this. House honestly did this in a lot of ways. Right. There's no one-to-one comparison. It's a, it's unique unto itself. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, as Zach said, it's a creation of something new. Right. The problem is there's too many people that are just saying, let's just take something that's already existed and we know people like and make it lower in alcohol. Right. And it usually sucks. Well, that's easier to market, though. Yeah, totally. It's much more. It's much easier and takes a lot less money to tell someone that this is still rosé. It's just an 8% rosé. Then mm-hmm. this is a new product you need to try to understand. Yeah. So, anyways, give, sh- shoot us your thoughts. Podcast at VinePair.com. We had a lot of thoughts about the um, the Dry January podcast. Lots of people emailed in. A lot of you said you thought that you agree that you haven't seen a lot of people doing dry January this year or that while there was a large, you know, amount of no alk on your, you know, in your stores, in your restaurants, et cetera, the people were, you still saw a lot more people ordering full alk. So I'm curious if there's any uh, more of you out there that want to hit us up. Let us know what you think about this too. Podcast of Vinepair.com and uh, we'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine Pair podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair podcast network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.